0: Good
1: morning, Gator Nation. Welcome to episode 18 of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about today, including a Florida win against Missouri and an ugly brawl on the field that could have some ramifications in the future. I'm your host, Casey Hampton. I'm substituting for Dustin Smith today, who is attending to a family matter. And you can find me on Twitter at CHampton85. And as usual, we've got an All Kinds of Weather creator and founder, Neil Schumann, with us. And you can find him... On Twitter at All Kinds Weather. You can also follow our podcast on Twitter at IAKOW Forecast. So, Neil, how are you doing today?
0: Doing well. Um, relatively relaxing Sunday for me without the Giants, just uh, prepping some content for the week, enjoying NFL Red Zone, watching all the other teams with. The rain kind of beaten down on my house, which is kind of relaxing. It's a nice sound for me. as uh, Because, I mean, let's face it, I definitely need a bit of relaxation today after yesterday. Uh, we'll get into that in a moment. Casey, um, how's everything on your end today?
1: Hey, the Jags were off, so that means they didn't lose today. So uh, it's, oh, uh, it's, it's a good day, man. It's a good day. Um, but, yeah, much like you, just recovering today and uh, – Trying to get over the 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 stress and the anger and the whatever emotion you want to call it from last night um, from that experience with Missouri on the field, we'll just call it an experience.
0: <laughs> it's, it's probably it's probably the right word for it. Um, yeah, it was it was it was definitely emotional. Um, I think on both sides, I think that there's going to be a good bit of blame to go around as the. As we sort of unpack this and we sort of watch the film some more. And we'll get into all that very shortly. But first, let's take care of our sponsors. As usual, we are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged gator fan to the swamp. That's not exactly going to happen this year, as you probably know already from our previous ad spots of the Gator Good Foundation, we've been reduced to a virtual campaign for 2020, and we are still looking for candidates to provide that virtual experience too. So if you believe that you or someone you know is worthy, please email us at gatorgoodfoundation at gmail.com. Again, that is gatorgoodfoundation at gmail.com. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and they'll deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding that I give you guys every show, but I'll give them to you again. One, it's a veteran-owned business. There's not a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business, in my opinion. And two, it's run by a Florida Gator. So, yes they do great work but they do great work and they're owned by a florida gator fan who happens to be a u.s veteran so to learn more about their services and rates go to stingraybranding.com that is stingraybranding.com and last thing before we get going just a quick reminder that we are planning to get two shows out there per week now that we're back in the swing of football season one on mondays recapping the previous game and one on wednesdays previewing the upcoming game and With the previews out of the way, it's time for our featured presentation. Let's talk some Gator football, Casey. Oh, boy. Do we have a lot to talk about, my friend,
1: Um, which is obviously awesome after the last two weeks of not having football for for the Gator fans everywhere. Um, And there's really no other place to start other than talking about the fight that happened at the end of the first half, Uh, because that's obviously what everybody's talking about today, no matter if you're a Gator fan or not. On the final play of the first half, in case you missed it, Kyle Trask was throwing a Hail Mary to the end zone that fell incomplete. When he released the pass, shortly afterwards, he was hit by Trajan Jeffcoat of Missouri. And Florida players ran over to fight for their quarterback, rightly so, in my opinion, and a full-scale brawl ensued. A whole bunch of punches were thrown, mainly at the helmets, and the whole thing took about five minutes to break up, including with Florida coach Dan Mullen and, e, and Mizzou coach Eli Drinkwitz both on the field at the same time. When it finally got sorted out, Zach Carter of Florida, Antoine Powell of Florida, and Trey Williams of Missouri were all thrown out. And there probably are still going to be additional ramifications coming from the SEC office in Birmingham this week. Although I do have to point out that as of this recording Sunday evening, none have been announced. But anyway, Neil, you were pretty vocal along with me on Twitter last night about the fight, and you were particularly aggressive. Uh, I was definitely admiring your ability to go after Uh, both the SEC and pretty much anybody that wasn't Kyle Trask or defending him on the field last night. Uh, So you've had about roughly
0: 22 hours to digest what went on last night and what transpired on the field. What are your thoughts? Okay, so I think analysis of this has to start by saying that from a strictly football rules perspective, meaning strictly within the rules of the game of football – Florida was in the wrong for the fight because it was Florida who charged the field looking for Trajan Jeffcoat's blood. So again, strictly from a football legality perspective, Florida was to blame. However, and there is a big however in all caps bolded, italicized, and underlined. There is a very clear other side to this. And that's why I believe in always looking at context rather than simply looking at what the rules and the law state. The fight started because Jeff Coat delivered a late hit on Trask. Was it dirty? That's a little harder to judge. It's not, for example, as bad as what Cash Daniel did to Trask last year. I mean, it wasn't close. Personally, I think the hit borders on dirty. It might have been. You might reasonably say it wasn't. But what we do know, because we have video of it, is that it was late. Jeff Coat takes not one, not two, three steps and then launches and nails Trask after he throws the ball. So it should have objectively drawn a penalty flag for roughing the passer. That is the textbook definition of roughing the passer and no flag was thrown. The referee was right there and did not throw the flag. So thought of players decided to do what the referees wouldn't do and hold Jeff Coat accountable for it. Because let's face it, if that hit draws a personal foul, this fight never happens. Florida gets 15 free yards, one more play in the half, Jeff Koch gets a warning, the play moves on, because then Florida is satisfied that the late hit on their quarterback was accounted for. So when the SEC is reviewing the tape of this incident, if they have any interest in achieving justice, which they very well may not do, by the way, they will consider that. And And while we're talking about what should happen, if the SEC is interested in achieving justice, Let me just mention this officiating crew, by the way, headed by a guy named David Smith should never work another game of organized football, because this is not the first time that Smith has screwed Florida over. He was the head referee in the game against Missouri on Saturday night. He was also the head referee of the Georgia game in 2019, the game of the, and I'm I'm putting air quotes up here, the catch air quote, by Lawrence Cager that hit the ground. And he was the head referee of the Kentucky game in 2018 for the Evan McPherson missed field goal that was actually two feet inside the upright. So this is the third time he's been responsible for something that has had negative ramifications for Florida. And it wasn't even the first time in the game on saturday night that he screwed florida over there was a phantom offensive pass interference call on trayvon grimes that even the color commentator by the way former georgia quarterback hudson mason guy does not like florida even he just straight up said yeah that's a bad call so shout out to casey for taking this up by the way he's got screenshots of these calls and david smith's rulings on them on his twitter at c hampton 85 and you know what no i don't really have a very high opinion of missouri as a program i totally understand fans calling them trash and verbally abusing their players. I, I get it. It's, you know, emotional. It, the fight added to the emotion of an emotional sport of football. I get that, but I like to attack the source of a problem, not the symptoms of them identify what started the problem, go cut the head off and the symptoms don't happen. These are kids who are playing a game that's emotional by nature. Referees are grown adults who are supposed to be the calming presence within that storm of emotions and supposed to stop things like this from happening before they begin. So, again, yes, Missouri players are not exactly a group of people I will ever rush to side with after what I saw last night, after all those punches. But to me, the problem starts at the source. These refs should all be barred from working organized football games for the rest of their lives.
1: Hey, Neil, fun piece of trivia. Where did David Smith, the head referee in those games,
0: where do you play college football? I'm going to guess either Georgia or Alabama. University of Alabama, 1987 okay. to 1989. OK, so he clearly so, sees Florida some kind of threat. And listen, listen, listen. I, I don't like to do the conspiracy thing. I really don't. Because to me, that usually comes off as lazy and just trying to white out your team's shortcomings. But officials need to be held accountable for their mistakes, too, 1,000%. If players can be suspended and coaches should be fined, officials should be punished and suspended without pay when they make mistakes. They absolutely have to be. And here's my thought. You know, we all have jobs
1: that we have to do in life. And, you know, Neil, your job is your brand with all kinds of weather and working with the Get a Good Foundation. you know, whether you are a garbage man, a sanitary engineer, a nurse, a doctor, president of the United States, football team, or a referee, we all have a job to do and we're all evaluated. You know, I work at Georgia Tech as an advisor. I'm evaluated based off of student satisfaction and student employment. I want to call out Greg Sankey and I want to call out the SEC office. We spend money, whether it's on our cable bills, whether it's for gas to travel to a game and tickets for a game and concessions at a game and lodging at a game, whether it's gas to go to a bar to watch a game and to pay for the food at a bar and pay for drinks at the bar. We we are emotionally and financially invested in these games. I wanna know, Greg Sankey, when are you going to provide the accountability and the transparency? Because yeah, I'm a Gator fan and David Smith is, Obviously, screwed scored us over a few times. But let's look at the Auburn-Arkansas game. Let's look at the Auburn-Ole Miss game. Let's look at any myriad of games this season that these officials aren't getting the calls right. And last night, specifically, when Kyle Trask was hit late, you had a chance to review the play. It was the end of the half. You had a chance to stop play. It was an untimed down. Review the play for targeting because let's be honest, there was a play at Old Miss and Neil, you're gonna have to refresh my memory as to who was it Sean Davis was charged with targeting well, Old Miss Davis on the like, like the yep. fifth
0: play of the game. I was there.
1: I was there. So it's hard it's harder when you're at the game to know and to remember those type of things than when you're watching it. But that was a questionable targeting. Questionable. Now, personal foul, yes, I'll give you that. That was a questionable targeting play. If you're going to charge Sean Davis with targeting, why can't you charge somebody that takes three steps towards a quarterback where the ball has been released? And if you watch the video that's on my Twitter, you can see his teammate trying to stop him, and yet he keeps on going. Where is the transparency and where is the accountability? I had a major problem with that. When you say that player safety is your number one concern, And you've got a quarterback being blindside hit by a Mizzou player who lowers the crown of his helmet, hits the player once the ball's been released at the end of the half. And then, for whatever reason, you let the guy play the entire second half with no penalty. When you
0: have instant replay at your disposal. I mean, what the hell are you doing in Birmingham? That's a rule issue. That's something that the Birmingham people are going to have to do. like. Like the refs, you can't. But you can review. Can't review. You can institute a review, right? It you should. should. But, that but the role. rule in, in that instance, in that instance, the refs were not necessarily wrong because that isn't something that's currently part of the game. That should be added to the game. Reviews of plays that are potential personal fouls, even without targeting, should absolutely be part of the game. If if maintaining player safety really is a top priority. But Absolutely. The, ref standing,
1: the ref was standing right there. He watched the play.
0: Yep. You let that go. You don't throw a flag, and you don't review it. And for what it's worth, I don't think it was targeting. But it was close enough that it should have been reviewed for targeting. And to not even review it when the guy gets blasted like that? No, that's it's an excuse. your a like, major problem. And, and Greg Sankey, you have to be accountable
1: because eventually at some point, yeah, we understand they're human, but to watch that play and to not throw a flag, to watch the ball bounce when Auburn was playing Arkansas, to watch the ball hit the Auburn punt return, th- these are not human errors. These are willful errors.
0: Well, I don't know if it's willful or if it's just sheer incompetence. No, I One think way or another, it's, it's got to be. I'm going to go, and I'm going to call it willful. Well, that's a lot harder to prove. I think the easier way to go here is just to say that the guy is incompetent and relieve him of his job. And Neil, I'm sorry. This is the third time. We, this is willful.
1: Shame me once. You know, screw me once. Shame on you. Screw me twice. Shame on me. Screw me three times. Okay, Greg Sankey, what are you doing? Well, because this is the third time. This is the third time with this crew.
0: And again, I'm th- sorry and again, that-, that in defense of your argument, That no flag was not the first time in that game he screwed Florida over. Correct. It was the second time in the first half. I mean, that
1: offensive pass interference,
0: that offensive
1: pass interference, the Mizzou defender didn't even turn around. How
0: and uh, uh, where did you come up with that? Dude, you know it's bad when, when a guy like Hudson Mason, who's made no bones about it, he's not really particularly fond of Florida even he's going, yeah, you guys got screwed on that one. Like, that's that's when you know there's a real issue. But when, here's my point. When do we find out? When do I we find out? That. Beyond – this cannot continue to
1: happen behind closed doors. I don't think – Fans need to see. At some point, we have to have some accountability in these games of, okay, when an official misses a call, what happens? What – and Dude, you're, this you're going – This just continue to –
0: you're going the the angle of, of of fans spending money. How about the players who are getting walloped and the exactly. referees 100%. deem that it is within the rules of the game? Dude, we saw Luke Del Rio nearly get his leg ripped off three years, four years ago, yep. by Joshua Wheeler of North Texas. Like that drew a flag. That got us fifteen free yards. Del Rio got hurt, but the guy was held accountable for it. Something was done about it. Now, obviously, we would have preferred it not happen. We would have preferred Del Rio not get hit late and hard by Wheeler and not get injured and miss a few weeks. But the fact that when it did happen, the referees did something, that kept order within the game because our guys, including then-coach Jim McElwain, they were ready to fight. They were ready to kill some North Texas players. And, before, and I'll
1: tell you, had he
0: thrown a flag, Neil, I don't think that brawl would have happened. No, I, I definitely doesn't because the players wanted some form of accountability. They looked to the refs like Richard Garage is seen on the tape looking at the ref and like throwing his hands up. And then the brawl starts because then Florida players determine, OK, you guys aren't going to deal with him. We will. And that really, that's exactly what it is. Florida players decided to deal with a player that the referees would not.
1: And, and really, it goes to a deeper issue than that. I looked at David Smith last night, and he looked like he was on Mars, that he didn't know what was going on, he didn't know what to do,
0: he was completely lost,
1: he lost control of that
0: game. We do have to spread the blame where it belongs, because yeah, I, like I said, I firmly believe in getting the problem at its source, cutting the head off, and all the symptoms will stop, right? But... Missouri is absolutely not absolved from blame here because let's remember, let's remember one thing. They were very much in the game at this point. It's 7-6 Missouri. A couple of quick things go against them, and now it's 20-7 to Florida, but they played Florida even in that first half, and even with the way the first half ended with Florida scoring twice in a heartbeat, they should have been encouraged by what they'd done and just gone right to the locker room to prep for the second half, and to me that says a great deal about them as a program that down 20 to seven at halftime, they think the game's over and they they just want to fight because let's draw the clear distinction here. Florida wanted to fight to protect its quarterback. That's, that's clearly not ideal because again, that's not legal within the rules of the game, but Missouri wanted to fight period. Like that's the end of the sentence. They just wanted to fight. And the film shows that because Mizzou had several different guys throwing punches. I, well, let's, let's take them off. Trey Williams, number zero. He got ejected. Akeel Byers, number 97, Isaiah McGuire, number 99, Chad Bailey, number 33, Markel Utsi, number 90. There was a guy wearing 15 who was partially obscured from view. I don't know who it is because they have two guys who wear 15. So it was either Chris Abrams drain or Johnny Walker Jr. One of them throw them in the mix. Like These guys are all in mass throwing punches down 13 at halftime, which tells me that they either thought the game was over collectively as a team. They thought the game was over down 13 or they just simply didn't care and they wanted to make themselves feel like big, tough guys and neither of those two possible realities cast them in a very good light but again the whole point for me and i i'm going back to this but the whole thing is they're immature kids the referees are supposed to be the grown men the calming presences in a storm of emotions who enforce the rules and prevent immature kids from doing immature kid things
1: so i'm going to add two points to that um, very quickly and one of them is not going to be popular with Gator fans and one of them I don't think a lot of people are going to agree with me with but the first point I've agreed with several people I understand why Dan Mullen left the bench I get it that he's supporting his players and I totally get that but as a head coach you can't do that you can't do that you have to maintain order with your players and you have to be a leader for your players and last night I think he was standing with his players but he wasn't leading his players and I realize that is not going to be a popular point that I'm going to make and I'm probably going to lose a few followers on Twitter about that but you can't charge on the field like that you just can't you have to be the bigger
0: person even when even
1: when it's emotionally difficult I will
0: say I don't think he charged out there with the intention to fight. I think hmm. he charged out there. Agree, with- but you have to
1: stay on the sideline. You have to stay on the sideline. You I have think, to. well, I
0: mean, it was halftime. But but but
1: go to the tunnel. You can't come out of the field like that. You let I people f- like Nick Savage. You let people like um, C-Rob. You let people like quality control people do that. You can't be seen like that. There's a picture on Twitter of him with a look of just manic rage in his eyes. And I get that. But it looks like he's trying to charge the official. You can't do that. You can't do that.
0: Okay, so I I think that goes back to the distinction I made at the top of the show about within the legality of the game and the context of extenuating circumstances. Because within the hard, fast rules of the game, no, he cannot do that. The way that Florida cannot charge the field looking to pick a fight. Given how much Dan Mullen loves his players, though, you got to be able to view that additional context when you're talking about something that he's doing with only the best intentions and the well-being of the players whose living rooms he went into and whose parents he told he would treat them like his own son in mind. But anyway, we spent a lot of time on this. Let's, let's get your second point and, and then move on because we do have an actual game to talk about, too. So what was your second point? The second point is, Mizzou, you wanted a rival, and now you got one. You
1: pissed us all off. You pissed off every Florida gator on every corner of this entire earth, whether we are in Gainesville, Atlanta, New Jersey, Shanghai,
0: Paris, wherever. You pissed off every gator in the world. That's a pretty good point. Um, I mean, I would have thought that the Missouri fans all gator chomping at us. And by the way, they've been doing this ever since they first played us. You go back to 2012, Kendall Lawrence scores a touchdown in the swamp. And the game Florida would win, by the way. And a couple of the linemen start doing the gator chomp at our fans. 2013, you know, they're all doing it in mass in the stands. 2014, Marcus Golden with the scoop and score. He does it a couple times. Shane Ray does it. And, like, that's their favorite thing to do. So you would have thought that that stuff would have – woken our players up and made them start treating Missouri as a rival. I mean, if that didn't, this almost certainly will, because we're not going to forget about this. And remember, by the way, what happened the year after the Vanderbilt brawl, Florida pulled away in that game as they did in this game against Missouri, which we're going to get to momentarily, but Florida pulled away in that game. And the next year launched Vanderbilt into the sun 56 to zero. So, yeah, you make a good point, Casey. Missouri, you know, you done did it now. Good luck because having spoken to a couple players this morning, well, yesterday morning, since you guys are going to hear it on Monday, having spoken to a couple players on Sunday morning, they're not playing games with you guys anymore. So, have fun. You wanted to piss all of us off?
1: You got your wish. So, welcome to the SEC, boys.
0: Yeah, Casey's fired up. I like it. I thought I took some shots on Twitter last night. We got the we got a raging bull here in Casey. Damn. And I think we've beaten that to death. So let's move on and talk about the game that happened around that. Because, you know, yeah, there was a football game that happened in you know, 50% of it before that fight and 50% after it. So uh let's talk about the game itself. So I mean, there, there's a lot to take away from it. I think most good, some not good, but mostly good. And uh, I'm taking over Dustin's host role now. We both have to kind of chip in and do our part here. But uh, <laughs> Casey, what, did, what was your main takeaway? So definitely we were shaking off the rust, I think, throughout
1: most of the first half um, with just the back-to-back COVID bye weeks. And we, that was bound to be expected. Let's have a round of applause for the Florida defense last night. The Florida defense came up, whether they read what we said on Twitter, whether they have read Sports Illustrated, Bleacher Report, whatever, they came up and they were ready to play. They held Mizzou for 57 minutes without a touchdown. And Mizzou, this is the same Mizzou team that scored 45 on LSU. And granted, LSU may not be what – we've expected LSU to be over the past few years, but we held them without a touchdown for 57 minutes of that game. There were two field goals. And there was one field goal and a pick six that was on an ill-advised um Caltrass throw. But our, our defense has an identity. Now, whether they have that next week, that remains to be seen. Our offense shook off the rest, but when they did – Kadarius Tony is a grown man. Scooter that, Magruder. That man, yes. Shout out to Scooter Magruder. He is a grown man. I don't know how – this is the second game this year that he eluded five-plus tackles and scored. And there have been pictures on Twitter that have shown him, surrounded by defenders, and just like a human joystick, he just finds a way out of it. Um, so that that's on offense. And shout out to Chris Howard. I mean, he had never kicked a collegiate field goal, and he showed out last night. Uh, and that gave me some confidence in our special teams. I was worried without Evan McPherson that we were going to be in trouble. We are in good hands with Chris Howard. And I think our special teams recruiting, I think that shows. And Jake Finn had some Good punts last night after a not so good punt at Texas A&M a few weeks ago. So I think after shaking off the rust, we were clicking on all cylinders last night, both in offense, defense, and special teams. Neil, what would you take away?
0: Yeah, well, you just basically stole my hidden gem, so thanks. Um, now I got to come up with something else on the spot. Anytime, but,
1: I'm here for you, buddy. Here yeah, for of you, course.
0: Buddy. Yeah, much appreciated, man. Um, I learned nothing really new about the Florida offense. I expected that there would just be some nap that they would take at some point. I didn't expect it to last for a quarter and two thirds of the second quarter, but I, you know, I expected some setback. I then expected them to pick it up and move on and do fine. And they did. Um, I knew Kadarius Tony was ridiculously explosive because we've seen him do that before. I learned that Florida's backups in the secondary are just as trustworthy, if not more so than the guys ahead of them on the depth chart that were sidelined. I don't know that I want to call them better than the guys they replaced because I don't believe that one game or one performance sets a rule, but I think it's very possible that they they could be. I've been very high on Jaden Hill for a while and he looked great as the corner opposite Kyrie Elam. Rashad Torrance did get baked, on a deep ball to Jalen Knox in the second quarter, thankfully Knox dropped that would have been a 59 yard touchdown. But other than that, he was pretty good. And, you know, I think at some point we're going to have to have a very difficult discussion about how and why some really talented and deserving backups need the starters ahead of them to get sick or hurt in order to play, which is not something that I just base off of Saturday cough cough Kyle Trask Felipe Franks but again that's probably an off-season pod topic not a today topic but just put a pin in that just keep that in the back of your head as we move forward but anyway yeah I learned that we do have some depth in the secondary and though we may not be elite back there like we have in years past like we're not going to have a secondary like we had in 2016 with Tabor and Quincy uh, or with Hayden and Janoris Jenkins you know that's not going to happen but we may not be elite, but we're solid. And we're solid with our second team plus Kyrie Elam. And assuming our offense doesn't take a quarter and a half to get going, solid might be enough to win us every game left on the schedule.
1: And can we, from the – and all kinds of weather forecast, congr- congratulate Justin Shorter on his first touchdown as a Gator?
0: Congratulations. I don't know if y'all can hear it. I don't know if y'all can hear it, but I'm giving I'm, – I'm clapping right now. Clap, 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 clap. Yeah, but, good uh, for you.
1: Uh, yeah, that I was... mean that, that to me was and uh, we're we're going into hidden gems and we can just uh, slide right into that. Yeah, we'll
0: just segue right there. Sure. Yeah,
1: I I, I was really going to say that here's the secret weapon I think the Gators have both in blocking and in running. Naquan Wright had a second huge game. Uh, Naquan Wright I think is a secret weapon for our team both in run blocking, pass blocking, and running the ball. Uh,
0: I, I was, was really the ball. impressed
1: with Naquan Wright last night.
0: And, and how about, uh, it, this is not just uh, exclusive to Naquan, right? But we've got guys who can catch the ball out of the backfield. Malik Davis, Damian yep. Pierce, good for you guys. Yep. Like I would never say that they're LaMichael Pirine 2.0 in terms of all he brought, but they're catching the ball out of the backfield like LaMichael P. Ryan could. They're picking up yards as checkdown routes the way that LaMichael P. Ryan could do for us. So, I,
1: I can't recall a, a, a run blocker or a pass blocker like Naquan Wright. I mean, he – think about it at Texas A&M. I know it was a long time ago, and if you're listening, I know you probably might have to – you're probably in your car going, Naquan Wright, Texas A&M. A lot's happened since then. When you get home, take a look at Neil's YouTube videos, his 15-minute videos of all the games. Even though we lost that game, Naquan Wright – single-handedly kept us in that game with a lot of blocks that he made. Hey, it's true. Same deal. I mean, this guy is the real deal, and he's my hidden gem from the game last night. And, Neil, what was your hidden gem from the game So my
0: hidden gem was going to be Chris Howard. Um, You stole that. It was then going to be Jacob Finn as my second. You stole that too. Well, all right, I'll give two new ones. One was, yeah, Jacob Finn was great. Three punts, 129 yards no returns zero returns there's a difference between punting at 60 yards and getting it run back for 40 and punting at 55 yards and no return he didn't have 55 yarder but he had he had three punts for 129 yards zero returns for zero yards
1: good call
0: and the second one second hidden one uh kind of just touched on it but well, no, I didn't kind of just touch on it. I did just touch on it. And I just went into it in great detail, but we have pass catching backs. Now we have options out of the backfield that can run these wheel routes or even just sit there. Like they're going to block and catch a little toss from Kyle Trask or Emory Jones or Anthony Richardson, which I guess could be another hidden gem. Uh, good for Anthony Richardson, East side kid getting some reps in the game. Uh, for those wondering, Emory Jones was hurt. He was available if needed in emergency situations, but he was not 100%. So that's why he was bumped down to number three on the depth chart behind Anthony Richardson. Um, that might last another week or two. Not sure how Emery's coming along, but I think the coaches prefer a fully healthy Anthony Richardson over a 85% healthy Emory Jones. So in case you're wondering I will add, why.
1: I will add one more hidden gem to what Neil just said. Kyrie Campbell being on the field I think really helped that defense solidify itself and I think it really helped instill some confidence in that defense and he was clearly a vocal leader just watching that defense on the sideline watching him in a huddle Kyrie Campbell being back on the field I think really helped the Gators defense come together um, as a unit
0: well I mean now that we're just going to start going off and giving defensive players some praise how about Brenton Cox making his presence known. Five minutes to go, first half. Florida's losing at this point. Down 7-6. Missouri tries a reverse to Kiki Chisholm. Cox sniffs it out and throws him down for a huge loss. What was it, like a 17-yard loss, 16-yard loss? Something huge and completely shot the drive. And right after that, Florida's offense woke up. Especially after he was injured on one of the first plays of the game. He came right back. Yeah, right. I mean, dude, he, he – I mean, the whole defense diagnosed that well. Cox has the pursuit, he has the speed to chase down the running back way behind line of scrimmage, redirect him, and then throw him down for a – what was it, 17-yard loss, 16-yard loss? A huge, huge I mean, loss yeah, that completely he, shot the drive.
1: Yep, yep. I, I just – I think the defense – I'm hoping to obviously see this, the, the same defense next week. That we saw last night um, but moving from that let's transition to on the in all kinds of weather forecasts we do like to shout out um visit the people that comment uh and our listeners uh, because we want you to be as big of a part of our podcast uh, as you can be so neil what was your listener tweet in response to what did you think of yesterday's game gator fans let us know and your tweet might be featured on tomorrow's pod and for all Gator fans, we do this every week. So feel free to, again, follow us at forecast, and we'll be happy to read a few tweets on the air. So, Neil, what did you get from a fan tweet
0: in response to your tweet? Okay, so I'm going to read two. One's from my boy Jeremiah Willett, at 44JWill. Offense is godly. Defense looked good. I, I think that's about 90 95% accurate. Uh, the offense kind of took the first quarter and a half off, but you know, overall, it's pretty, pretty great. Uh, defense look good, I'll agree with that. And Mizzou tears are pretty salty for a state that doesn't touch an ocean. Woo, shade, salty. Jeremiah Shade for Mizzou. All right, well, he's from Missouri, so he gets to oh, God, God, yeah, I know. This. Our, our condolences, our condolences, Oof. Jeremiah. And the second tweet is interesting. Second tweet is from RCA Gator. And all I'm going to tell you is he captioned it. It's it's a couple of photos. He captioned it. This needs to be spread around. This is what started the fight. Go onto Twitter, go to at RCA Gator, or find this tweet from the pod account at IAKOWforecast. Uh, which I captioned, what did you think of yesterday's game, Gators fans? Let us know, and your tweet might be featured on tomorrow's pod. Go to the replies. Look at what RCA Gator tweeted. It is a couple of photos. The first photo is of the hit itself, and the second photo shows the guy who delivered the hit doing something that is, shall we say, uh, of questionable character. And I'll I'll leave it at that. And I'll let you guys look at it and see for yourself. Casey, you see it? I do. I do.
1: Um, and, you know, I really hope that uh, the SEC officiating office
0: and uh, Greg Sankey see that. Yeah, you know what? I might have to – actually, while we're on the pod, you guys are going to hear me and witness me. I already did
1: it. I, I already did it myself. Well, Casey's so, ahead uh, of me. Neil, I'm just going to retweet Neil, yeah. Yeah, definitely uh, go – go look at that between the video that I shared last night that has now been shared over 1200 times um, of I, I, I put my iPhone in uh s- slow motion and watching the hit happen. And then between this, I'm going to be interested to see who gets suspended and, and, and determining that. So definitely go look at RCA Gators post there uh, because that's, it's interesting, Neil. That's, that's, a, that's a really good shout out there. Yeah. Yeah. So my uh, viewer, I, I, I've got two viewer tweets um, that I think both are accurate and funny for different reasons. Uh, I'm going to go at uh, my boy Peyton Quick at ITK underscore Peyton. The defense played their best game of the season. Offense started slow, especially the offensive line, but the whole team played as a whole team in the second half. It was also great to see the younger guys getting a lot of play, playing time. 100% right. I would love to see Jaden Hill out there. I love to see Chester Kimbrough out there. I love to see Kyrie Elam out there. They played their damn hearts out, and it was awesome to see. Um, and the second tweet that I'm going to call out is uh, Mom Mason at JC Mason one two two seven underscore Mom. Direct TV carried Arkansas game instead here in Middle Georgia had to listen to XM radio app like it was 1966 all over again. Uh, Miss Ma- Mason, I-, I get that. I understand that because uh, it's anytime I hear a Florida game that Beth Moans is calling, I automatically turn that game off and I listen to Mick uh, because there are just certain voices I don't want to hear. And living in Georgia, I appreciate the fortitude that you have to live in this state uh, because I live in Atlanta. And we are deep in enemy territory. So shout out to you for both living in Georgia as a Gator fan and turning on XM radio and listening to Mick and Lee McGriff uh, on the game last night. So I wanted to give you a shout out for that. So now it's time for the final word, our traditional closing segment for our postgame pods. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we've gotten to do this. Uh, long few weeks, a long covid few weeks, but I'm... Sh- so this is a quick reminder of how this goes. We all go around and give our play of the game, player of the game, grades for the offense, defense, and special teams and coaches. And we'll start with the player of the game, or play of the game. So uh, Neil, what's the play of the game for you?
0: Play of the game for me was Tony's third touchdown of the night, the one that came early in the third quarter, because that's when it became clear to me that Missouri had no answers. You know, you, you thought maybe the fight would piss him off. Maybe it would wake him up and maybe you would get him to – get back to basics and play football. No. Tony touched down there, makes it 27-7. It's clear Missouri's got nothing in response. At that point, whatever semblance of nerve remained was gone, and and any semblance of a competition at that point between the two teams is gone.
1: See, I'm going to go with his second touchdown uh, because that, to me, the first touchdown came at a minute and 41 left in the second quarter, and the second one came at a minute and eight seconds. And to me, it was like, okay, we woke up, we're good. And I happened to be at a socially distanced Halloween party. And everybody looked at me and was like, oh, are you done watching the game? I'm like, no, I'm comfortable. I'm going to watch it, but I'm comfortable now. Knowing that the offense woke up, we're good now. Uh, So that was my play of the game. Neil, uh, who was your player of
0: the game? My player of the game is Jeremiah Moon. Jeremiah Mm -hmm. Moon, welcome back to a major spot on a team that is in the hunt for a national championship led the team with six tackles four solo tackles and he also led the team with one and a half tfls this guy's a fifth year senior he has been around through the highs and lows of mackleway he's been around for some of the lows of mullen he was you know is on the team that lost to kentucky and missouri at home he knows what it's like to get embarrassed by them shout out to moon for getting in there making a big play a huge loss on on one of the plays late in the game and and just showing you know this defense may have gotten beaten up may have gotten pushed around but I'm back now I'm at full health now and you know let's go let's play some Florida Gator defense and it was good to see that out of him. so I'm going to go with a
1: cop out as well Neil I'm going to go with Kyle Trask he took the lead for the number of touchdowns to the first four games and folks let's talk about the first four games Because normally in a year, you have some tune-up opponents. You know, a Charleston Southern, an Eastern Washington, a Florida Atlantic, or a South Alabama. But you don't have that this year. We went straight into SEC play. So this guy now leads the SEC through four games against SEC opponents, quality SEC opponents, in numbers of touchdowns thrown. And he was 21 for 36 at 345 yards. But more importantly, digging into those stats— 47 yards and six carries no Kyle Trask is not a pretty runner no he's not somebody that you just look at and go oh my god he's going to run for a touchdown no but he's going to run for a first down or no he's going to keep defenses honest knowing that he can run for five or six yards and then set himself up for a quick screen or a bubble pass a bubble screen to Malik Davis or to Justin Shorter in the flats or to Kadarius Tony that can get 45 yards at what looks like was a five-yard play. He showed me last night that he can run and showed me that he can throw. So Kyle Trask is my my, my player of the game.
0: Worth, um, noting, worth noting, Casey, that's not – he doesn't just lead the SEC with those 18 touchdown passes through four games. That's an SEC record. He leads the that, SEC yes, all exactly. time, ever. 100%. That is an SEC record he's got. So – and you know what? Let's let us let's do it. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and do this. You know, Florida fans always like to say that their quarterback or their, their best player is a Heisman candidate. Let's let's make that real. It it is a real possibility now. Kyle Trask is in the Heisman race. That is not just that is not just exaggerated. That is not capping. That is a reality. He is in the Heisman Trophy race. Yep. I didn't say he's going to win it, but he is unequivocally. In the race, he will be in New York. He will be in New York, whether he wins it or not. He will be in New York. He will have to. He will have to fall off in order to not be. I mean, it's Correct. too early to say that for sure. But he I, will I, have to see a drop off in order to not be in New York. I
1: think he's seated there in New York. I think he's done what he needs to be. He, he's done what he needs through four games. Through four games, he's got to keep it up. I just think he's in New York. That's my. That's my prediction. But that's why we have a podcast and differing views quicker give your quick grades for offense, defense, special teams and coaches.
0: All right. Offense gets a B- because the first quarter and a half was was kind of bad uh, I'd, to be I'd honest. I agree with that. It it I mean you got to score touchdowns in the red zone and it, it it's not going to kill you against Missouri, but it might against Georgia or Against Alabama in the SEC championship, it might even against Arkansas, who's uh, it might G. against Kentucky too. Yeah, right. So you know, like just because it didn't this one time doesn't mean it won't in the future. Correct. So let's 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 use that as something to work on. But go with overall, 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 very good, solid B minus for me.
1: I, I the only thing I will dispute on that is give is I will say a B plus just because Kadarius Tony is getting better on running routes, and we never thought he could do that. That's so. fair. That's the only reason I'll give you a B-plus versus a B-minus. Now, on defense, I will give the defense – I'll give the defense an A-minus just because I think the expectations were low, and they vastly outshone the expectations. And I think Todd Grantham has some questions to answer. I think Todd Grantham has to look at, is Marco Wilson the best corner that we can start there? Todd Grantham has some good questions to answer, but the questions nonetheless. So I will give the defense an A-minus. What about you, Matt?
0: Yeah, I'll go a little lower. I'll go B+, plus because y- you can't forget about the bomb to Knox. Rashad Torrance did get fried. Like, it, that happened. It's not it, – it doesn't reflect well. It doesn't reflect better on Torrance just because Knox dropped it. He didn't do anything to make him drop it. Like, like he got beat. And that, that was a bad play by the defense. That happened. You can't ignore it. The rest of the game, they were pretty great. And yeah. I think – you know, it, and again, because one play can make or break a game. Look at, I mean, look at the busted coverage last year against Georgia. Lawrence Cager catches that bomb because of a busted coverage, and it's 24-17. Without it, it's 17-17. So one play can definitely influence the grade. So I'll leave it at, I'll leave it at a B+, which is still monumentally better than the last time we saw it against Texas A&M.
1: Let's look at special teams. If I went first for defense, what do you give the grade for special teams, New?
0: It's an A. I mean, it, it did everything it was supposed to do. Chris Howard goes two for two on field goals in his first ever collegiate start, makes all five extra points. And as I mentioned earlier, Jacob Finn, three punts, 129 yards, zero return yards. So they did nothing for me to take points away, so to speak. So they get an A.
1: I have nothing different other to offer other than that. So I will agree with you on that Uh, coaches. Now this is where I'm going to probably disagree with Neil a little bit um, because I said what, as, as, as the meme says in 2020, I said what I said about Dan Mullen. I'm going to give the coaches a B minus just because if you're Dan Mullen, you have to realize no matter what's going on. Yes. You're standing up for your players, but, can't come out running on the field like that you can't do it 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 doesn't matter what's going on it doesn't matter how bad the officials are you have to be above that you have to be the leader you have to be the face of this program I'm just saying Dan Mullen I think has to check his emotions when he needs to in critical moments like that and so that's the only reason I'm going to give a B for that and you know I'll turn it up a b minus excuse me yes it somewhere between a b and a b minus I, it, it depends on where you were raised where i was raised it was 79 to 82 was a b minus and then 83 to 85 was a b um so i will give it somewhere between a b and a b minus but i'm probably leaning towards b minus for that neil what do you think
0: mm, i'll go with a b plus because i think that i think the schematics were fine um, I mean, the, the offensive game plan was good. The guys just fell asleep for a quarter. Guys weren't really getting super open, creating a lot of separation. I think the, the play calling was fine. The defensive play calling looked good. It looked like a simpler scheme. Guys looked like they knew where they were supposed to be. And maybe maybe, maybe the off period helped with that, but that, that factors into it. That's a piece of it. That, that That's still coaching. So I will semi-agree with you on the Mullen thing because – I do think that he ran out there with the intention of separating his players. I also think that with an officiating crew that did not look like it particularly cared for Florida, he run the risk of getting ejected fair or not. Like it, you piss off the referee. You're probably going to get tossed and he ran that risk. And, you know, you can't do that. So I, I do think he was in the right, which is why I say I semi-agree with you because I don't think he ran out there to try to start a fight. But I do think he has to learn to be more careful in situations like that where emotions run high. So I'll say a solid B+. plus.
1: All right. So overall grade for the game. I will give overall grade for the game. I'm going to give it an A- just because this team faced adversity multiple times. They came back. They responded well. And I think gave themselves a jolt of confidence before Georgia. We've seen in 2018 and 2019 that Georgia had bad games before they played us. So we have to assume that they're looking at it as their Super Bowl. And we'll talk about that more on the next podcast. But I think this team placed itself in a good place with where the play calling went with where we are as a program and responding to a bunch of adversity, both with the COVID off weeks and with the referees and with the Mizzou team on the field. Uh, so I will give uh, that grade to them for that. What about you,
0: Neil? I'll go B+. Plus. They, again, the slow start's concerning. You, you can't do that every week, especially not against better teams. I think it's understandable given the fact that they had back-to-back off weeks with no football activity, but I mean, it happens. So, you know, that's part of the grading system. And then after that, they were fine. They did, they did fine on both sides of the ball and on special teams. They didn't do anything particularly damaging aside from the one bust on defense that should have been a touchdown and the one missed assignment on the offensive line that led to the pick six, other than that, they did everything they were supposed to do. So I mean, look, we're three and one. We're going to Jacksonville with everything on the line. That's how it's supposed to be. And, and 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 how it would be, even if we'd beaten Texas AM. We'd still have to we'd still be in this exact same spot where we have to win that game next week, or nothing up until that point mattered.
1: Florida and Georgia are both undefeated in the SEC East, and they both have a loss to a Western opponent. Everything is on the line. We Our season is not lost. And this game means more now, I think, because for the first time in a long time, I think we have a team that can compete for four quarters in Jacksonville. And I think Georgia is knocked down a notch. Now, I'm not saying Georgia is inherently beatable. I'm not saying we are guaranteed to win. But I'm saying this is a more even matchup on paper than it has been in a long time. So we have everything on the line and we are looking very forward to the world's largest outdoor COVID cocktail party, whatever you want to call it this year for the sea, um, and the world's largest outdoor cocktail COVID party. And that's all we've got for today's episode on the In All kinds of Weather forecast. If you've enjoyed our show, please subscribe on iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And speaking of enjoying our show, we guarantee you all are going to enjoy our next show later this week because we have a very special guest coming on to preview Florida, Georgia, who has had quite a history in this rivalry. So definitely stay tuned for that. And of course, in the meantime, we encourage you all to stay safe, stay healthy, and go Gators.
0: Go Gators.
1: Go Gators.